So if you're new to Mercy Road, you've missed the last few weeks of what we've been doing with the Underground Jesus Teaching Series, where first week we talked about leading a fully surrendered life to Jesus, and we've been tracking through uh, the book of Acts and looking at what it looks like to, to actually see the exponential multiplication growth of the kingdom of God, the early church, of what they saw. And we talked about, first, they were fully surrendered to Christ, and then week two, we looked at Acts 2 and the, the giving of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost which is what Christians actually are celebrating today. Today is the day we remember that the Holy Spirit was given to the early church, and that's part of the reason we're all worshiping outdoors uh, tonight in Fortville. If we've ever needed to worship and pray, and now more than ever, I can't remember a time in my life, we've needed it as badly. And so that's what we're going to do tonight, and we're going to remember the giving of the Holy Spirit. But then in week three, we talked about like we have to be the church that God wants today, not the church of a year ago or a year from now, but the church today. And that includes this weekend. And then we uh, talked in week four about finding joy and having community help us remember and embrace the joy of Christ in our life. And then last weekend, didn't Pastor Ken do an awesome job, our Northeast launch pastor and operations pastor, talking about don't waste your waiting in this season. He gave all the stories of outposts living on mission in their local community making an impact. So we wanted to take it full circle this weekend and if we looked at Acts 28 last week in the last chapter in the book of Acts, I want to talk about Acts 29. That doesn't exist in the Bible if you're new to the Bible. Acts 29 of what it looks like for the early church principles we saw in the Old Testament to live that out 2,000 years later today. That the church expanded rapidly through exponential explosive multiplication that they actually couldn't even control and so my plan was to come in and talk about the, the underground Jesus movement must have a culture of multiplication. We must have a culture of multiplication. And for, for those of you tracking at home, I, I still believe that. And we've talked about, for many of you, you don't know this, that when we first met, the week before we launched the church in Clay Middle School in Carmel, uh, we had a small pre-launch service and I preached at Acts 4 and I talked about our vision was to reach a million people for Christ in the state of Indiana, that, which is ridiculous. There are only 6.8 million people in the entire state. So, but it, it set the goal of us, and we got it on the walls, one of our four movement maker statements, that we have to think beyond how many people we can gather in our buildings, to think about what it looks like to truly multiply out into the community. And so, while that's true, we've talked many times about multiplying new Christians and disciples and new outposts, and new churches, all because we genuinely believe that Jesus was crucified, rose on the third day, overcoming death itself, that anybody who repents of the sin in their life can have eternal life, live with God eternally in heaven, and experience God at work in their life now that they're never alone, no matter how physically isolated you are. We really believe that, and that's the good news. We wanted everybody to hear that, right? That's why we want to multiply in, in our culture today, less than 20% of people, even before all COVID happened, less than 20% of people would attend church on any given weekend. So we could double the number of the churches, we still wouldn't even reach 50% of the people. And so multiplication is needed. But here, and I preached that many times, but here's what I realized. What we're multiplying matters. The culture and the types of disciples and churches that we're multiplying matters. We could plant all the churches in the world and lead people to Christ and disciple them, 
But if we're not teaching them the ways of Jesus, the way he taught discipleship, then we're failing. By the way, I'm going to get to this in more depth at the end. What is the number one things that Jesus told us to cultivate within the lives of disciples? Right? Right on, yeah. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and being. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. So love God first, love your second, uh, others second, and ourselves third. So if we're producing disciples that aren't loving God first and others second and ourselves third, we're not really producing learners of Jesus. And I'm going to show you the word disciple in the New Testament language in Greek. It, it literally means learner. To be a disciple means to be a learner. So if you're not learning from God first, from others second, you're not really a disciple of Jesus. I'm not saying you don't have salvation. I'm just saying that like, you're not really following the example that he set for us. And so as we see, if you're not in the Indianapolis area, like many cities across the country, the rioting wasn't as bad here in Indianapolis, but we saw fires downtown, multiple people shot, windows broken, anger, violence occurring, and some of that occurring from protesters and some of it probably occurring from people outside of the state or other places. We're not sure. Not sure who's doing what. We know it's spilling over into the street. And so my heart today is that we as disciple makers must produce peacemakers and reconcilers as part of the fertile soil of discipleship. In fact, ironically, we're about to start seven weeks of talking about that very thing from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 and beyond. And so don't miss next weekend as we dive into a new summer teaching series for June and July. And we'd already planned to walk through those things and it kind of fits perfectly of what we're having to walk through in our culture today. But I want to share about that because with the death of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and so many others before and the cries spilling out over into the street, are we really putting God first, others second, listening to others' voices before our own opinion? Because there's some people that are hurting. And as a white male pastor, I'm going to be honest with you, like I believe I can hear from God just like anybody else, but I am not the authority on this issue. Would you agree? So I'm going to give some voice to just a couple people in my life. They may not be an authority, but they at least understand a perspective of actually living out some of the experiences that I'm not aware of. And so I'm learning. That's what being a disciple means. Romans 12, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And some of us feel like, well, that doesn't really occur today. I just want to, I want to tell you, I told people I'd go off cuff today, which is why it's so long, but we'll get over it. My friend uh, of many years, uh, I remember six years ago, we did a teaching series called Stop Racism because of the Trayvon Martin and all stuff down in Florida. I think it was six years ago. And in that series, we shared some voices of people of color in our church. And I remember my friend Charles, who is the only guy I didn't ask permission to share this story, so I hope you're cool, Charles. But he told me, he shared publicly there that when he was 19 years old, you know, he's at a very good college on his track to have what most would consider a pretty professional, well-off career, and he went as a 19-year-old, large black male, to visit his white friend in a white suburban neighborhood, and he parked his car in the driveway, was waiting for his friend to come out. He's sitting in the car, and the guy next door brings a shotgun over from the house next door, puts it in his face in the car, and asks, what are you doing around here? And he said, well, that's, that's a bad apple. Well, yeah, it's a bad apple, but, but that doesn't happen to me, Right? So that's what we're talking about. We're, we're not, nobody, nobody's saying anything um, 
about, first of all, police officers today. I want to tell you, we have some amazing police officers in our church family. Celebrate that the Indianapolis uh, Police Department addressed all the things downtown last night and all the crazy stuff happening. They never fired fired a single shot, right? I know there was tear gas and other things employed, but I just want to, I want to encourage you that I'm not making comments. You, you can love police officers and hear the cries of people of color today. So I want to address that because what we're multiplying matters. Okay, enough hearing from me. Let's go to God's word. You agree? Let's, let's look at Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. It says this, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another. So he's starting his ministry. He's going from one town to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And it is good news, by the way, to any cultural issue we're facing, not just the one that we have on the forefront of our minds today. The 12, the disciples were with him, and also some women, I love this part, who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had been, came out, Joanna, uh, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. I love that because here's these women leading the way to support the mission of Jesus because they had been truly transformed. They had a big change in their life. That's what spiritual growth looks like. You see it pouring out. You want to be a part of it. You want more people to experience this good news that you've received. That's what multiplication in the local church is all about. Verse 4, while a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable or story. By the way, I love Jesus. He always tells it in a way that you could understand. So like he's talking to an agricultural community and he says, a farmer went out to sow a seed. He's not talking about farming, by the way, just so we're all checking. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which uh, grew up with it and choked the plants. So he takes his seed, he's talking about the word of God, and he spread it around lavishly to people. And the different ways it's received in each of the soil that it comes in contact with. Only one produces a bumper crop, the fertile soil. Look at verse 8. Still other seed fell on some good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear. Do we have ears to hear today the word of God? The bumper crop comes from the fertile soil. Jesus said this fertile soil of discipleship is to love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. God first, others second, ourselves third. It's like the main thing he told us to live out to have that type of fertile soil. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. As we dive into this, and I talk about multiplication, and in the last point we get to, this greater movement of Jesus spreading around the globe, the underground movement happening rapidly, multiplying like crazy, are we reproducing, peacemaking, reconciling disciples of Jesus? Are we producing disciples of Jesus that know that they're right about all of their opinions? Will you pray with me? God, I hear, I, God, first of all, I just pray, I thank you for everybody here and everybody attending online. Uh, most people don't do that today in our culture. They've come out for this. And I'm not bringing this up to berate anyone or to smash things in people's faces. I need to hear this. We need to hear this. Our city's crying out, God. This is our city. You've put us here supernaturally, planted us here. Use us for such a time as this. Transform our way of thinking. Make us learners, disciples, 
of you, Jesus, to learn how to be peacemakers and reconcilers. That's the underground movement of Jesus today, scattered all over our city and state. We surrender your will, Jesus. We love you. We pray this in your name. And all God's family said, amen. Amen. You know, I just want to tell you, um, do we have any gardeners out there? Anybody who gardens? That's like both services. I'm not kidding. I thought no one would raise their hand and I'd say me neither and we'd just move on. But <laughs> we've had so many gardeners. I don't know what the deal is. You guys like tilling the ground, I guess. So like my wife, she gets on kicks every once in a while. And a few years ago, the kick was gardening. And so she, uh, she wasn't into the GMO, a non-GMO gardening yet. She hadn't gotten organic. She was just like full on, get that miracle grow out. And so she planted this garden and she put miracle grow everywhere. I'm talking just poured the stuff on. And we had zucchinis in the garden that year. This is years ago that looked like this right there, right? Some nice GMO zucchini. And we ate all that up and it was delicious. But I want to, you know, I think about it. When you put miracle grow on something, you see the result it grows, right? See, when the spirit of God is working you see spiritual growth and numeric growth. We see that throughout the New Testament. It expands rapidly. There's multiplication has, happens. There is on both the individual and the corporate or community-based scale, there is a denial of self as Jesus taught, picking up our cross daily and following him. God first, others second, ourselves third. And so when you see that type of culture, it cultivates numeric growth, which we talk a lot about with planting churches and disciple making. And we've had so many people come to Christ, even as we've been largely online. Another two weeks ago, I just heard of a mom whose son gave his life to Christ. And so, you know, just like God is on the move. But we don't sometimes talk about spiritual growth. You don't just notice numerical growth. You can see spiritual growth when the Spirit of God has poured some miracle grow on your life. Would you agree? So let, let me give you an example. When um, I first became a Christian, I was a 19-year-old. This is over two decades ago now. I was a 19-year-old that had given my life to, to Christ. But before that, I was living in a, I was a part of a fraternity where I helped throw the fraternity parties, and I did some things at the fraternity parties, you know, to get people to show up and do that sort of thing. I used to run the gambling scene in the fraternity house. So you're like, I didn't know that about you. I no longer have, you know, respect for you. Well, I, this is what God does. He changed my life. None of those guys would have ever thought in a million years I'd be doing this. In fact, my high school basketball coach who taught government in high school, I had to take an assessment of what you should do with your career when you're like 17 or 18, like they have any idea. And the test told me I should either be a stockbroker or a pastor. My basketball coach did not laugh at the stockbroker. He laughed at the pastor. He's like, that's never going to happen. And I was like, I know. I have no idea why that showed up. This is like, you know, just a high, public school. And so I began to, you know, all the, you realize, like, people saw a change in me. My fraternity brothers started saying, dude, what happened to you? They didn't like some of the changes because I wasn't doing some of the things that I used to do. But they also appreciated the person of integrity God was instilling in me that I hadn't been before, frankly. People notice both spiritual and numerical growth. It becomes op obvious to people. When you see someone like my white friend who had lived in a neo-Nazi gang in Southern California, who as a young man didn't feel like he had people who cared about him in his life and this gang kind of came around him and then he realized the hate and violence that was there and he fled and he got up, got out, he ended up giving his life to Christ at one of the young adult services we were at. As he got into a group and began to grow, 
He had the swastika tattoo that was on his arm. He had it removed. You could physically see the difference, that the transformation of his mind and his soul had already been occurring. That's the spiritual growth that can occur. For some of us, in, uh, if you, we have people from all over the city and state, but for those who are in suburbia here and we hear these cries and we instantly jump to you know, try and explain things away or it's just frankly awkward to talk about sometimes, I want to hear this. Some people, this is their day life. It's not awkward for them. And so I, I just, I want to encourage you. I want to grow. We need to grow. We need to be transformed to produce the fertile soil, to be learners of Jesus. So I'm going to move quickly through the teaching. So, because I got some stuff at the end I want to share with you, but I want to talk about creating a multiplying movement. That first, we've talked a lot about this recently, the underground Jesus movement must scatter. I mean, regardless about meeting in buildings, we value this. And I thank you a ton for joining us here live. Thank you for those attending online as well. Do what's best for your family. But we must scatter to reach as many people for Christ. Look at verses uh, five through eight again. It said, a farmer went out to sow seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it all up. And then it says he scatters it to another couple of places. And pretty much it, the first three, it kind of goes to waste in some ways. It's only the fourth one that they have the bumper crop. But did you know that for first century farmers, they would not have lavishly scattered seed like this? You didn't do it because that would have been wasting the seed. But he's expecting a bumper crop, so he wants to make the most of the seed, this farmer does. And so John Nolan, a New Testament scholar, writes, this sower sows seed, which has an extraordinary yield potential. He knows he's in line for a bumper yield. He can afford to be generous with the seed. The end of the story vindicates his confidence. The yield is a remarkable hundredfold return. Some of you don't farm like me and you're like, big deal, which is to be compared to a typical yield of seven to tenfold, massively larger yield. Jesus is the sower and he's spreading a seed broadly. The more he holds on to, the less he'll produce. He's not saving any of it. So for those of you that are followers of Jesus, that you believe and receive the grace and forgiveness and his death and resurrection, and you've receive the Holy Spirit, and he's at work in your life, we should show lavish, lavishly to tell people the good news of Jesus because it's transformative to their lives. In fact, if we want to see that exponential growth, we should do everything to reach anyone everywhere. Or another way of kind of saying this, that we've talked about this a lot, if we're going to reach over a million people for Christ, we can't gather them all in these buildings. So we must be known more for our sending capacity than our seating capacity. I love, and I value what we do on the weekends. I love coming together to worship, but when we were gifted with amazing worship leaders, but man, this season's been good, so good for Christianity and American culture, hasn't it? Because it's really taught us like what it means to live out the gospel regardless of what is going on and surrounding uh, in our context. Uh, J.D. Greer writes about gaining by losing in a, a well-known book. I encourage you to check out for more information. He uses this analogy that we often say, you know, the church shouldn't be a cruise ship that we're just here for pleasure and joy and hanging out, but it should be a battleship because we're here to do spiritual war. And while that's true, it's actually not the best analogy. He talks about that we shouldn't be a battleship. We should actually be the aircraft carrier. The one that is sending people out into the communities to make an impact. As I'm going to close later on today sharing... Uh, an African-American pastor's words about how to influence the community when it comes to racist issues in our culture, he focuses largely on sending out into your sphere of influence. 
The most important thing to do is to speak up in our culture as Christians, as followers of Jesus, to be the leaders as peacemakers and reconcilers. To hear first, speak second. See, second, a movement must multiply. Verse 8, they had the bumper yield, right? Luke 8, verse 8, still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. He says, whoever has ears, let him hear. We must multiply disciples, leaders, outposts, and churches. That's always been our vision. To send them out, outposts are the heartbeat of our underground movement of Jesus that we've talked about. And if we want to make an impact in the things going on in our city right now, the, the 49 to 50 plus outposts could actually live that out. And so many of them are in your local community. Go out today, make an impact, be the peacemakers and the reconcilers, the ones who don't just get angry, but turn to help hear from our African-American brothers and sisters. And for, for those uh, in Mercy Road Church that are a, a per person of color, not only do we hear you, we want to learn. And so continue to lead us, and may we hear you. You know, that I always think about our analogy. We think sometimes that the church should, if we use the analogy of a tree, that we should try and grow the tree as large as possible, that the church should be like the big, you know, redwood in the redwood forest, because that's a huge living organism. But actually, it's not the largest living organism in the world. Some of you know this, but what's the largest living organism in the world? You're going to say blue whale, and you're going to be wrong. It's actually the aspen tree. The aspen tree in Colorado can have up to 5,000 square miles of forest that operates as one living organism because their roots are all connected. You're like, hey, that sounds like the movie Avatar. Well, actually, James Cameron's wife is a big fan of aspen trees in Colorado, and that's where he got the idea. But that looks more like what the kingdom, the multiplication of church should look like today, the empowerment, the sending capacity, sending people out to scatter them and to multiply. And I've talked a lot about that in the past, but the third and final thing I want to take from this passage is that a movement must be rooted in fertile soil. You heard me start with it, and I want to conclude with it, and it's going to be a little while here as I share some of the stories. Because the fertile soil of loving God first and others second, ourselves third, is what produces the type of culture that actually leads to exponential multiplication and growth. Because people notice not just the numeric, but the spiritual growth, our love and concern for other people before ourselves. That's not normal in our society and culture today. Look what Jesus actually uh, defines the story he's telling in verses 11 through 15 in Luke 8. Read with me. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes. The enemy is at work today, whether we want to admit it or not. And we must fight back, spiritually speaking. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, when things get hard, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. Maybe you're one of those that you may have salvation. I don't know. It's not for me to determine, but it hasn't really taken root. You haven't produced the fertile soil of discipleship in your life. Verse 15, but the seed on the good soil stands for those who, with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop that there is spiritual and numerical growth in your life because of what the Lord is doing. The denial of those things the enemy wants you to be tempted by. And instead, you're rooted in fertile soil. 
the next seven weeks, we're going to look at through the Sermon on the Mount, how to actually develop a culture of disciple making. And it's what we read about in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, there's going to be a great uh, study guide that goes with this along with a video curriculum for our outposts or huddles or even for you to do as an individual. You go to Amazon and buy the participant guide today. It's The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. It's kind of a classic uh, theological work that walks through the Sermon on the Mount. And so I encourage you to get that. And we're going to have the digital videos available to all of our outpost leaders so that your outpost could, we're asking all of our outposts to go through this together even, that you could be watching and participating in this. My huddle as well is going to be doing that. So that we could see what Luke 10, 27 says. Jesus answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I told you I'd come back to this. So if we're going to be disciples, the word in the New Testament is methetis. Methetis, no L in there. I must have done a typo. It means learner. So if you want to be a disciple, you've got to learn the ways of Jesus, which means you have to have the humility to change. That's the hard part, right? <laughs> it's easy to hear one ear go out the other. It's another thing to change and to actually receive God's word. To fertile soil produces growth. Change occurs. And so for me, I've been trying my best, especially over the last few days and even before this, to just learn, to hear. We've been trying to address this in our church for six years, and I just feel like, you know, it just keeps, we get one step forward and two steps back sometimes. And I just want to encourage you that as a Christian today, we could be the difference makers. Uh, African-American pastor friend of mine, Richard Reynolds, uh, mentioned this verse to me, and I wanted to share it with you. Proverbs 31.8 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all are destitute. The rights of all are destitute. I'll love, leave that up for just a moment. The New Living Translation said a destitute. It says crushed. The rights of all are just crushed. And so we see what's going on in our city, and we don't like violence or looting or any of those kinds of things, obviously. But that's a spilling over of, of people not doing well with the emotions that they're experiencing because they feel crushed. They feel destitute. And we need safety in our streets. We need peacemakers and reconcilers. And as Christians, we should be the ones speaking up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For too often, we've stepped back. And so I don't think, again, that I am the, uh, the voice that should be heard on Racial issues, I'm trying to learn. And I, I, just a couple of my friends that I saw post this weekend, I wanted to share with you. One of them, many of you know, she helped us start Mercy Road Church with her husband, Andrew, Britton Berry and Andrew Berry. Uh, many of you know they moved out of state. Her husband's now the GM and of uh, NFL team. But uh, we're not talking about Andrew today. I want to talk about Britton. Britton graduated from Harvard University. Last I knew, she hold, held the long jump record for Harvard. She's an incredibly intelligent person who worked for Google remotely here in Carmel when she started attending her church back at the school way back when. And then she got her MBA uh, at Yale and was doing distant for a while and then moved to Connecticut. And then now she works in Atlanta uh, for a tech company. And just an incredibly smart person, way smarter than you and me. And she posted uh, this online. Uh, she has two young boys. Uh, Andrew is African-American, and so her two boys will grow up being seen as black. And so she writes this, when your husband is black, you pray a different kind of way. She says, I'm not okay. I pray a different kind of way. Incessant prayer, fear prayer, pleading prayer, 
please just please don't find yourself in the wrong place today kind of prayer. And when your sons are black, you wish a different kind of way. All parents wish their little ones would just stay little. No one will miss their chunky toes and gentle coos and bright, hopeful, innocent eyes. I wish my boys would stay little because I know the bigger they get, the more threatening they seem. No amount of education or decorum can keep them from being mistaken as a threat when the world so, uh, excuse me, can so easily assume they are inherently dangerous. And as they get older, as they come to realize that they aren't afforded the same freedoms, you know, like wearing hoodies or going on a run or for asking for help, their bright, hopeful, innocent eyes will grow tired, sad. So yes, as a parent, I wish that they would stay little with chunky toes that couldn't run too fast and gentle coos that don't feel alarming and bright eyes that still see the world as a land of equal opportunity. But please, I just wish you'd just stay little. I'm not okay. These feelings and fears aren't new. I've had them a lifetime of knowing things are different when you're brown. And while I'm glad that others are gaining more empathy for the added daily burden some of us carry on our shoulders, seeing this so publicly in my face every day is exhausting. My anxiety is heightened. My o I'm overwhelmed. Tears are ready to fall at any minute. And yet, I still have to function. I still have to wake up and be a mom, open my laptop and be a colleague, stand up and juggle life's to-do lists, logistics and emotional anniversaries in the midst of a global pandemic. And so if I'm not done a great job picking up the phone and being a friend. I'm really sorry. I've got nothing left. So yeah, I'm not okay. And she was talking about her boys and I was thinking about my kids. It's just, I don't know that feeling. I've never once thought about my two sons growing up and being fearful for their lives, for the things that she's afraid for her sons. That should move us, should change us. It, you, you look at the life of Jesus, I didn't say this at the other service, the way that he entered into culture, into a broken place around him, and the way that he loved people who were hurting, how can we follow Jesus if we're not doing the same thing? Now, some of you might say, well, if we do that, you know, we need to listen to all people and not just some people. And, I want to give you the response of uh, my friend Rashad Cunningham. He grew up in the city of Indianapolis, inner city community. He now pastors a church after having a radical life transformation in one of the suburbs of Indianapolis. And he posted this. It's pretty long. I'm going to share parts of it. And he talks about him and his wife. He's, he's married to a, a white woman. His wife's white. He's black. And he's talking about even in their own marriage, they're having to walk through this and understanding they come from different perspectives and they need to hear from one another. He says, well, speaking with my wife yesterday, I asked her how she felt about everything going on. It's funny and sad that even after 16 years of marriage, it was easy to see that there is a difference in what I'm going through right now and what she's going through. Many are saying the media is making it a black and white issue. I can agree to a degree, and yet even in my marriage, even in our faith, and even without the media, the greatest felt differences between my wife and myself all came down to her being white, me being black. My wife, our beautiful differences in ethnicity presented opportunities for gospel conversations and communication that have always been necessary in our interracial, multicultural marriage and family. He talks then a lot about how he's, his wife was really afraid to speak up too much and console him and be with him and talk to him because she was afraid, not that she would say the wrong thing, but she might say the right thing with the wrong tone or in the wrong way and it would be perceived wrong. And he talks about how he was having to understand that from her, where the perspective she was coming from because she wanted him to go play tennis 
And he's like, how can I be playing tennis right now with all this going on? But she was trying to get his mind off of stuff, and so he's trying to learn from her. The ironic thing, as they were playing tennis, he injured his thumb. <laughs> and he says this. I want to get to this. Let me find it here. We continued playing tennis, and at some point, I had a thumb injury. I didn't tell her about my thumb injury until this morning, and she immediately wanted to help my thumb, to take care of my thumb, to nurture my thumb. However, I told her no worry or focus on my thumb because all my fingers matter. And she stopped, and she thought deeply, and we laughed, and she said, yes, Rashad, all your fingers do matter, but your thumb is the one hurting right now and needs some attention. This isn't a political statement, guys. This, this is a human dignity issue. We have a, a, a people group and the people of color, in particular black males in our society, that are saying, hey, we're not being heard. And if the peacemakers, the reconcilers, the followers, the learners of the ways of Jesus that put the God first, others second, to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross daily, aren't the ones leading to listen and respond I mean, what are, we, what are we doing? For those who are different parts of the country, rioting happened over 30 different major cities this weekend in the United States, if you're from a different country. We must lead the way to be reconcilers and peacemakers. So, you know, here, here's some things that I'm trying to do. One, my friend John Owens, who's a pastor of City of Lights Church, we got to help plant through Multiply Indiana. He's African-American pastor off of 38th Street, and we were talking about it this week, and he recommended this book. I haven't read this book, but I'm going to check it out. It's called Woke Church. He said it's one that's really based on biblical principles in Christ, and so I'm going to check that out, and I'm going to try and learn. Maybe one of the many ways I'm going to try and develop myself today, uh, there's a number of African-American pastoral leaders that are going downtown to the state house from 2 to 3. Myself and a few of the other pastors here at Mercy Road are going to join them, not because we're leaders for the movement, but we want to learn and support them. Ask for your prayer with that. They're asking just to be heard by the mayor and uh, that the faith leaders would be able to lead the way for peacemaking in our city. Thank you for praying for that today. And I just encourage you guys, we can make the difference, but we have to remember we're in a spiritual battle. That the passage, do you remember? There were things that wanted to squelch the movement of Jesus. Jesus defined it in verses 11 through 15 there. Three things that squelched the underground movement of Jesus still happening today. One, the Satan, the adversary, the devil in our culture loves to get us angry at each other. By the way, we've been kind of angry at each other for like three months now. This is, this is the big one, but like before this, it was like, I mean, we were fighting about everything. Where are the peacemakers, the reconcilers? We have to fight against the enemy's tactics that wants to divide us today. Number two, what can squelch a movement is not being discipled, not creating fertile soil to love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself, that we just produce people that have prayed a prayer, know about God, want to go to heaven when they die, but don't have the living God at work in their life today. And look, it's not just on race issues. This goes across the board. If you got drunk like seven times in the last week, you probably need to turn to the Lord today, amen? Like for some of us that we're turning to addictive habits instead of what the Lord wants to do today, we need to be honest about that. For those of us that need to repent of some of the inherent issues in our life, look, I'm not saying you're inherently racist. I'm saying me, I need to learn more. And I want to hear more. I want to be a learner, a disciple who learns the ways of Jesus because he seemed to be a reconciler and a peacemaker. 
I want to do that. And then finally, worldly riches and temptations can squelch a movement. It talks about that in uh, those verses. Those temptations still going on today in the culture around us. We can't defend off the enemy's tactics. We can't let the enemy rob us of God's dream. We can get a glimpse of heaven on earth today, a church that is reconcilers and peacemakers and loving people well. That young man that I described that had his neo-Nazi tattoo removed, it was a transformation that had happened in his soul. And I want to tell you today, for every single one of us, the power of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit is still given to us. It's still changed us today. If you're not growing in your faith, you don't have the miracle grow of the Holy Spirit moving you in your life. Receive it today. Say, God, I want to grow on the day of Pentecost. I'm going to remember that you could transform me. I want to hear the cries of my brothers and sisters in our cities and suburbs and, and, call, and rural areas. I want to be different. I want to lead the charge in this way and just to bring peace. And maybe you need just to admit, like I do, that you need some change. I think about Jesus in this passage. He's talking to a people group about farming because they understood it. And I just, I didn't share this at this last service. I was, I had trouble going to sleep last night. And as I was kind of going to sleep and kind of in prayer, I was half awake. And I, and I had this kind of, I, you know, just a visual. And I don't know if this is from the Lord or not, but it spoke to me. May have, I think it may have been the Lord kind of sharing this with me. It was just a picture of somebody under, on a frozen pond. And there's people walking on the pond on the ice there's people, there's a guy underneath who just is hitting the ice because he wants out. And the more he hits, the more the ice cracks. And rather than cutting the ice and helping the man out, the ice begins to break and they get mad because they're ruining the ice that they're standing on. When I see Jesus, he seemed a lot more concerned about the person trapped under the ice than he did about the people walking on it. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross daily. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, your being. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it means to have the fertile soil of disciple-making in our culture. Please, let's apply it. Let's pray. By the way, the final thoughts that my friend Rashad shared, it was a long message. I read it all at the last service, but his final thought was, if you want to bring change today, he said, you don't need to call him or text him. He's good. He knows that you love him. He's a Christian pastor who people have reached out to. He said, but reach out to them. Then he defined them. He said, them are the people in your influence. They're the people that are in your homes. They're your family. They're your neighbors. They're your coworkers. Reach out to them. That's how we transform things. You may not be able to go down to certain streets in the inner city and be able to bring transformation, although the Holy Spirit can do miracles. But I want to tell you, you can be used by God in your context today to address the racial prejudices that we're seeing and to transform our culture. Thank you. And I just, I get a little excited about it because when people see it, you want to see people come to Christ, show them that you care about them. That's how it changes it. Let me pray for us. God, I, I love coming together. I love those attending online. I love all the different perspectives we have in our church. God, we, we cry out. We pray for peace. We pray for your help. We pray for your assistance. We need your spirit now more than ever. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would use us as Christians. We pray anything in our lives that's preventing 
your work from occurring, whether it be the enemy or the temptations we're facing or not true discipleship and fertile soil in our culture, God, we pray that you would transform us by the renewing of our minds this morning, that you may speak to each of us right where we're at. May we see from the other person's perspective first and not jump to our opinions and conclusions, but to hear from them and that it might change us in a way that would draw us closer to you. And then finally, God, that I know that there are people either here in the room or attending online. This isn't the only issue. You've never even really given your life fully to Jesus. The seed has been tossed, but have you received it? And today, I want to give you that opportunity to fully surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus, to join his underground movement as we conclude this series. If that's you, just begin the process of praying this silently as I pray out loud. God, pray with me. God, I confess I need you. Forgive me for doing life without you. And on this day, Pentecost Sunday, I surrender my life to you fully, Lord Jesus. Use me. I give you my whole life. We love you, God, and we give you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's family said, amen.